You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's stand and read this together. Brother Spencer either didn't cry very much or he used all the tissues in that last service because there's none up here. I'm sure there's one somewhere. I can use my notes. I'll finish with a page of notes, then I'll just blow my nose and then set it aside. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You may just want me to do that right now after you hear the message. Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll read this first chapter, kind of set the stage, and then... Uh, Just give you an overview of what's happening here. Nehemiah 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And we'll go over what's happening here just so you get a better idea. Just know that Nehemiah is is captive in Persia and he's hearing a report of what's happening back in Jerusalem. Verse 3. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words, oh, that we would have a heart like Nehemiah. Listen what he does when he hears the words that are spoken to him. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. That's what's happened. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments... And do them, though there were of you cast out under the uttermost part of heaven. Yet will I gather them from thence. And will bring them in unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Back in Israel. Now these are thy servants and thy people. Whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power. And by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee. Let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant. And to the prayer of thy servants. Who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Our first sermon tonight, uh, out of the life of Nehemiah, is that is God pl- God's plan needs a man. God's plan needs a man. 
And I'm praying tonight that this would inspire us to see if maybe we're the ones who might need to step in and help advance God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to you and we humble ourselves and pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. Bless the message tonight. Help me to convey it clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The book of Nehemiah has always been one of my favorites. Uh, there's something exciting uh, about a man. As a boy, I remember hearing the stories about Nehemiah. But he's a man who hears about a cause and he rises to the occasion to accomplish something great. Because he did. That's the story of Nehemiah in a nutshell. And tonight, we're, God willing, we're going to start a, a series, begin this series on Sunday nights that explores the traits of this great leader and all that he was able to accomplish with God's help. And I'm praying that what we see in his life will present a, a balanced combination of practical and inspirational. Practical because Nehemiah gives us an excellent example of leading others during an important time of building and inspirational because maybe, just maybe, we could catch a glimpse of all that God could do with Eastside Baptist Church in our community. See, in order for anything great to be accomplished for God's kingdom, His people must be enabled by His power and inspired by the possibilities and be diligent, though, in the work. So we have to, it has to start with some kind of inspiration um, that, you know, that there are possibilities, but we can't do it without his power. And we also can't do it without being diligent in the work. So there's a combination, a balance between being inspired and being motivated, but also learning how to be diligent so that uh, the things that we want to accomplish, we can see accomplished. I think we'll get a glimpse of that in Nehemiah's life, that God's power enabled him. He was inspired to do what some deemed impossible, and he was diligent in his work as a leader. See, Nehemiah was a Jew living in captivity to the Persians. And Nehemiah, uh, is, his name means Jehovah, Jehovah Comforts. Um, he was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. And he was basically the secret service to the king. You know, I think he probably had an earpiece there. ...in the palace as he watched over what the uh, king would intake. Meaning that his job was as the cupbearer, he would test the drinks... ...and he would test the food that came into the king's uh, chambers. Uh, before he ate it, he would make sure that the food and drink was not poisoned. So the question that seems uh, interesting, and some of it was answered in this first chapter... ...if you were paying attention there, but... Uh, how does a Jew get a job like that? How does a Jew in a different country as a captive, how is he elevated to a position of such importance? What's he even doing in Persia? Uh, Jews, the Jews were in Persia at this time in history, which by the way, Persia is modern day um, Iran. And they're there because of a process that began a few centuries before this. See, the events of Nehemiah, and again, we read about some of these here, but the events of Nehemiah began around the year 446 B.C., but in 722 B.C., the first Jews had been scattered, and we, we read about that there in verse 8. It, it, Moses, in his writing, he said, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. So that's what's happened. That's, that's how the Jews have ended up in modern-day Iran, 
or Persia at that time um, because a few hundred years before, they had not followed God. Leading up to that point in Israel's history, God had promised judgment because Judah and Israel had not been faithful. They'd allowed their hearts to be drawn away by idols and the heathens around them. So they looked around in the culture and the, and the heathen, the pagan cu- cultures around them, and they started to follow after their gods. They weren't faithful to their god. They'd allowed their hearts to be drawn away. So in 722 BC, the Assyrians had come in and conquered the scattered, the, and, and then scattered the ten northern tribes of Israel. And they had scattered them all over the known world. Now, if you know your Israel history, you know that at one point after Solomon, that the 12 tribes of Israel had been split and 10 had gone to the north and 2 had stayed in the south. Those 10 northern tribes had been taken captive by the Assyrians. And in year, that was in 722 B.C., about 120-something years later, between 605 and 586 B.C., God had used the Babylonians then to come back into the land, invade and destroy and nearly depopulate Jerusalem completely. And those two remaining tribes, which would be called Judah, were taken to Babylon. Well, this was all because of Judah's unfaithfulness to God. That covenant that God had made with them that they were supposed to follow years and years before that, they had broken it. We know that God had not broken His covenant. We, and we have even saw in the prayer this that Nehemiah prayed that in verse 5 that he, he, he claims the covenant that God had made and he's begging God to keep the covenant that he has with his people. But God had allowed Judah because they had been just as unfaithful. He had allowed Judah, those two remaining tribes, to be chastened with 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Well, during the Jews' captivity, I'm going to give you a lot of background here tonight... Uh, But during the Jews' captivity in Babylon, leadership of their captors changed hands. And the Babylonians, who had originally taken them captive, were then overtaken by the Persians. So after some time, maybe about 50, 60 years uh, while they were in Babylon, the Persians come through, this other world power, and they took over. Now, the Babylonians, they were against the Jews returning to the land... But as soon as the Persians come in, um, they're much more open to the idea. And this took place during the prophet Daniel's life. If you'll remember um, that Cyrus took command, the Persians took command there in the book of Daniel and, uh, and during Daniel's life. And so the Persians now are in control. And the companion book to the book of Nehemiah is the book right before it, which would be the book of Ezra. And... In in fact, these two books, it's well known, historically speaking, that the scribe Ezra wrote both Ezra and Nehemiah. And these two go very much hand in hand. We'll, We'll see a little bit of that as we go along. But much of the language, we already read it if you were paying attention during that first chapter. Much of the language of the first chapter of Nehemiah was written in first person. He says, I and I. You know, he's, he's talking about, Nehemiah's talking from the first person. Um, so we have to, are led to believe that Ezra took maybe some memoirs or a journal that Nehemiah had wrote, had written, and Ezra, Ezra wrote those things out as the book of Nehemiah. So the book of Ezra begins with the decree of Cyrus, that Persian king that took over, to return God's people to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple. 
And that took place around 539 B.C. And I know all these numbers will start to run together, but I feel like I should give you a little bit of background before we jump in. So in 539, Cyrus said, I want the Jews to return to Jerusalem. So a group of people, a group of men, they went back to Jerusalem and they did. They rebuilt the temple and God's house was rebuilt. But after that, for about 80 years, God's house sat dormant. It sat unprotected. And so they rebuilt the temple and it looks grand and it looks great. Now it didn't match the glory of the first temple. We know that according to scripture. But they did their very best. They reestablished, restored the temple. But for 80 years it sits unprotected. So then Ezra took a group of men. And they went back to Jerusalem. And they started implementing the law. And they started implementing the sacrifices And they started implementing the program of the temple. And that took place in about 458 B.C. So that is what leads us then to Nehemiah 1. About 12 years before Nehemiah, Ezra and a group of men had gone back and established uh, the law. And they'd established the sacrifices. And they'd, they'd started the program of the temple working again. But there's a major problem. There's not a wall around Jerusalem. So they have God's house. It would be like, you know, I got here this afternoon um, at about 4.15 and I went to pull tug on the door and it was locked, the front door here. And it's because you you typically don't leave God's house just open for for anyone to come in. You want to protect the house. You want to be mindful of who comes in and out and if there's nobody here... I mean, in this culture, people will even come in churches and vandalize churches. So we have to be careful. But can you imagine, though, uh, this city of Jerusalem, no walls around it, no protection at all. And there's, there's a beautiful, ornate temple that's built for God. And there's nobody there to protect it. So people can just come and go in the city of Jerusalem all they want. And the house of God is, is, is in disrepair because there's no one there to protect it. There's no wall to sit around it. And that's where Nehemiah comes in. See, at this point in Judah's history, the Persian Empire dominates this part of the world. They've taken over in Babylon. They've taken over many parts of that part of the world Uh, And they control Judah. They even control Jerusalem, even though it's far away. So building walls around a city would be in their territory might be perceived as a sign of rebellion. I mean, think about it. If you control all these parts of the world and a group of people says, we want to go back to that part of the world where we come from and build a wall around our city, you might start to think, well, why would you do that? Um, do, you have a, do you have an issue? Do you have a, a tinge of rebellion in your heart? Why would you want to go back and build a wall around the city? That's our territory. And I love, and this is kind of how we start getting into the meat of what's happening in Nehemiah and the purpose tonight. I, I love to see how God's sovereignty is involved in this. You see, because at the most critical point in Judah's rebuilding process... God has already raised up a man named Nehemiah, a Jew, to be in one of the positions most trusted by the king, his cupbearer, his confidant. 
Nehemiah was trusted by the king, by King Artaxerxes, and he was trusted in a similar way that I think of Joseph being trusted by Pharaoh. And I think of Esther being trusted by the king. And I even think of Daniel being trusted in his day. You know, these were people that God raised up to put, put in a position so at the right time, when things all came together, there was somebody in the right place to help God's kingdom further advance. Nehemiah had been promoted to this significant role in the palace that ruled the world. I mean, this just doesn't happen on its own. God in His sovereignty put Nehemiah in a place where at the right time, God could use Nehemiah to preserve His people. See, when things like this happen, we can only give credit to God. Because, listen, and this is where we start, and I want you to really clue in right here, because this is the point of this first message in the series tonight. We can only give credit to God because He knows what's coming. And He has the right person in the right place at the right time. Only a God that's sovereign can make sure that happens. I mean, building walls around a city that another king controls, that's, that seems like it would be a threat. It'd be perceived as a threat in just about any situation except for this one because Nehemiah is trusted by the king. Nehemiah checks his drinks. Nehemiah tastes his food for him. And God knew that the timing would come and there would need to be a man. He knew that there would need to be somebody in that place in that time in order for God's kingdom purposes to be advanced. Now there's just one other note that I find kind of fascinating here. See, this, this study in this first message tonight has really got me excited about the sovereignty of God. Now I want to say tonight that I don't believe that God chooses who gets saved, okay? I'm not a Calvinist. And we have to be careful of that because there's a lot of Calvinism. I mean, I I drive around and I see there are a lot of churches here in this community that would even subscribe to the Reformed theology. And as sincere and, and um, as maybe even as genuine as those, as those people would be, I don't believe that God selected from the beginning of time who would be saved and who would not be saved. The Bible says, "...whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." The Lord is not slack concerning His promise... But it's long-suffering to us word. He's not willing that any should perish. And it's important that we stand on the Bible and we say God is not Calvinist. God does not choose who gets saved. But I am, on the other hand, a firm believer in God's sovereignty. God is powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. And he, he can do whatever He wants to. And when I think about how God raised up Nehemiah at just the right time, I say, God, you are a great, as he said, a great and terrible God. You are powerful. You are all-knowing and you are working behind the scenes because I even think years and before this time, this is the same palace that was occupied by a famous, a famous queen, a famous Jewish queen, whose name was Esther, just years before. And I happen to believe that it's possible that Esther, according to history, was Artaxerxes' stepmother, 
or maybe Artaxerxes' step-grandmother. Even if there's no official relationship, we know that Artaxerxes came into power just after um, Esther's story. And who knows, but that Esther may have even been in the palace while Artaxerxes was kind of rising up the ranks. And I think about that. And I think about how Esther very well could have paved the way for somebody like Nehemiah. Because here's a man, a king, in the palace who has no reason to be friendly to Jews, and yet he's trusting a Jew to be his cupbearer. How many kings do you think would be open to a people, the Jews, in a subject city, going back and building a wall around their city, basically reclaiming their territory? Do you see how God has been working behind the scenes? God has been preparing this king's heart for this moment. And he's raised up Nehemiah for this moment. And it just reminds me that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Proverbs 21. As the rivers of water he turneth it whithersoever he will. Years before Esther rose up and and helped to preserve her people. And now Nehemiah gets to come along. This is how God works folks. Nothing surprises him. Nothing just kind of sneaks up on him. And he's like, oh, I should have I, I started this plan a long time ago. No, he was already working. We serve a God like no other. He puts the right people in the right places at the right times. And what is interesting is he does it by planning even years in advance. This process took place over the course of hundreds of years. Yet God had Nehemiah in this spot at the right time. To accomplish something nobody else could do. Now that's how God has always operated. He's always put the right people in the right places at the right times. I want you to think about Joseph. You know, Joseph was was a, a, a slave. Joseph was in Potiphar's house. Then he was in the prison cell. And then he rose up to be Pharaoh's right hand man. Just in time for the famine. Circumstantially. You know, just, just so happened to be second in command and be thinking ahead about the famine when the king had the dream and, and planning ahead. And you know why? Because God knew that the famine would come and his people would need to be preserved. So years in advance, on some afternoon when Joseph's brothers were feeling really mean and he, they threw him in that pit, you know, God was thinking, okay, my plan has begun. It's set in motion. I'm going to preserve my people, and I hate that Joseph has to go through the stuff that he's going to, going through, but I am going to preserve my people through a man that's in the right place at the right time for the right purpose. Amen. Think about Moses. For 40 years, nobody had heard of him or from him. He's back in the wilderness, but at just the right time, when God wanted to bring his people out, here comes Moses back, and maybe the greatest show of leadership that the world has ever known, Moses leads millions of people out of the promise, or into the promised land. No, to the brink of the promised land, out of Egypt. Think about the judges. God raised up judges at just the right time. Gideon, Samson. I think about King David. You know, that Goliath was... It would have been a permanent standstill, I'm pretty sure. You know, God's people cowering in fear on this side. Um, the, the man, the evil man, Goliath, uh, blaspheming God over and over, over on this side of the valley. 
and God's people just cowering in fear. But God brought along a man named David who had practiced in the field by, with, his, with his sheep, killed a bear, killed a lion, and he came saying, I, I've killed a bear and lion, a giant, this is nothing. You should see me throw this slingshot. God raised him up at just the right time for just the right person. He was in just the right place. I think about Esther. And what does it say? God said, or her uncle said, that this is for just a time, for such a time as this, I should say. Esther was raised up to preserve the people. I think about Peter on the day of Pentecost. He was in the right place, the right person at the right time. I think about Paul for the Gentiles and I think about in Paul's life how a man like Ananias in Acts 9 who gets very little credit for the impact that he had on Paul's life at that point Saul but he he showed him mercy and he helped him along and Saul became a man who reached the whole that whole part of the world for Christ. I think about Barnabas in his role as the the man of consolation in Saul and Paul's life. You know, these people are brought in just the right time, in just the right place, just when we need it. And you know what? It's been true in my life, too. It's true in all of our lives. I mean, I think about people that, have, that God has brought into my life at just the right time. And I haven't talked about him uh, much, very much, but my best friend in ministry, I've got a couple really good friends. One of them, his name is Jonathan Pyle. And he's, he, we worked on staff in Stillwater, and now he's a pastor in Boise, Idaho. And there was a time in my life that was a real struggle for me. Just some things that I had gone through, and some trials that had come my way, and some discouragement that had really set in, in my heart. And God knew what I needed, and I believe for no other reason except for me, this man, Jonathan Pyle, was brought on staff at Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater. And can I be honest with you? I think I'm probably standing here on these steps today because of his influence and his friendship in my life. Because he, I, he, God knew I needed somebody at just the right time, in just the right place, and it needed to be just the right person. Can you think of people like that in your lives? Somebody who when you were at your lowest point, they came along and they stood there and they were a friend to you and maybe these people lifted you up when you were the furthest low, the lowest you've ever been or maybe they inspired you to overcome when you didn't feel like there was hope or maybe they challenged you uh, to rise to the occasion when you wanted to quit. I'm so thankful. Aren't you glad that God is sovereign? And that at our lowest points, he knows exactly what we need and he sends somebody along very often who's the right person at the right point in life and serves the right purpose for us. That's how interested God is in your life, friends. I think of the ultimate example of the right person at the right place at the right time and that is God's son, Jesus Christ. You know that the Bible says... God started planning for Christ to be in the right spot at the right place at the right time. He started planning that in eternity. He started planning that before the, the, that was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. 
God is so sovereign that He can look ahead into time and He saw our greatest need. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. He planned it long ago. Jesus Christ came right at the right time. He fulfilled every prophecy. He came right when the world needed Him the most. And because of that, we can be saved. Aren't you thankful that God is sovereign? See, when it comes to advancing His kingdom, God always has a plan. It never catches him off guard. He's never thrown off by circumstances. He knows what's happening. And when he prepares people to step up at just the right time, that's his way of letting us know that he's in charge. You know, it's no different in this age, the church age. Christ didn't have to rack his brain to come up with a plan to perpetuate the gospel. I mean, it wasn't like the, you know, this is like, a little over three years into it, it's not like Jesus Christ was looking around saying, oh man, I, you know, I'm going to be crucified here in a few months and, and something's going to start, got to happen because once I, I, I die and I raise again and I send back to heaven, these guys are going to be left all on their own and I haven't even thought about this yet. I mean, it seems silly to even pretend like that. Jesus Christ wasn't caught off guard um, by the plan that needed to be implemented. No, he started it as soon as he called those disciples. As soon as he said, throw down your nets and follow me. He began to train those 12 and to send them out into the world to make more disciples. And you know what? It worked. Because people submitted to their roles. They submitted to their place in God's plan. And great things were accomplished because of it. We sit in a building like this tonight... Because way back when, I don't know which disciple it was, but we could trace our roots all the way back to one of those 12. And one of those 12 told somebody else about Jesus Christ, who told somebody else about Jesus Christ, and so on and so on. And now in America, we've got a church like this all the way across the ocean. You know, God's plan works. And He always has a plan. And these things never catch Him off guard. 2,000 years later we still get to enjoy the effects of Christ's plan for the gospel working. See, when it's God's plan, it works. And the Bible is our manual for life. His plan is very plainly laid forth. And he's put so much into his plan for our lives. He preserved an entire book to help us know how to live because he didn't want us to just be left alone to try to figure it all out on our own. Why would we do it any differently? We have a whole book that shows us how to live and shows us what the plan for the gospel is. Why would we think, you know what, I I think I've got a better idea and I can go out there and try something new that I think will be just as as effective. And I'm just telling you, as I said, something similar this morning at Eastside Baptist Church, I, I hope you're with me, but I have no intention of doing it differently than his plan. This book is our plan, folks. It's our manual. We're not changing anything. We're sticking to the book because this is God's plan. And why would I try to find something in my own limited wisdom that could work better than what he's already told me? I can't. So when it's God's plan, it works. But God's plan requires people to be in the right place at the right time. See, God places people in the where and the when. And they must submit to the role that they're asked to play. God doesn't force it. He simply is looking for willing followers. 
Followers have to be more interested in the big picture, the role that they're playing, than they are their individual spot. See, the point is not that you get to do what you want, it's that you submit to your role in the big picture. And at this time, I'd like to ask, I talked to a few young men, the Wasson boys and Sawyer and Carter and uh, Emmanuel, I think even, Brother Chad helped me, would you all come up here? Um, I'd, I'd like to just illustrate this very clearly. And I didn't, parents, I, I didn't have you sign a waiver for this. And I'm feeling like maybe I should have. And, and we're just going to be right up here, right up here. So I'd like to have you three guys, shoulder to shoulder, just get down on your hands and knees, okay? If anybody wants to take a picture, you're welcome to. Okay, they're going to establish my base here. And uh, I'll show you what I'm going to do here in just a minute. You see, I, I see... This whole thing, how God brings the right people in the right spots at the right time. I see this a little bit like what's happening here at Eastside Baptist Church. See, we know that God is interested in the New Testament church. This is his plan for the perpetuation of the gospel. This is his place. And the truth is, he is so sovereign that he knows each of us that's a part of it. I may just preach the rest like this. This is kind of fun. You know what? The New Testament church is a good plan. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, But now hath, it, hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. You know, God is so sovereign and he's so interested in the roles that we play that he knew you would be a part of Eastside Baptist Church on April 14th, 2019. And you have a role to play. And I look at it kind of like a pyramid. Everybody has a place... In the body. So these three guys established the foundation. So I'd like for you to just one knee on each back there. And so you come over here. One knee on each back here. And put your hands just kind of in the middle of their back. There you go. Okay. And now we get to see this guy's been doing flips in the foyer. And I thought he could probably just do a flip and land on top of these guys. But I'm going to see how, just how um, athletic Emmanuel is. So Emmanuel, would you jump up there? Tell me, you probably don't need help, do you? Just crawl on there, just do whatever to get up there. Okay, there you go. Okay, so this is a picture of the local New Testament church. In God's sovereignty, he hath placed members in the body as he would, as it hath pleased him. And each one of us has a place in the overall body. But if you're a member of Eastside Baptist Church, he's positioned you here on purpose. And maybe this is you. Or maybe this is you with a red face down here. <laughs> and maybe that's you. Either way, we all have a place in the body. But let's just suppose that this guy right here decides, I don't want to have a place in the body anymore. And he decides to lay down. Go ahead, lay down. Lay down. Oh. Okay, you see what happens? Okay, let's get back up. Let's get back up. Jump back up there. They can handle it. These Wasson boys, they seem like they're just made of steel, you know. Okay, so here's Emmanuel jumping up there. You know, just like Nehemiah, God knew that you would be at Eastside Baptist Church in 2019. And maybe this one right here is you. And you teach a Sunday school class. And you're thinking, though, but that's not really my strength. I really want to do something on the platform. I have a place, and I don't think that God has me here in a place that really suits my strengths. So you decide that you're going to lay down on the job, and that's what happens. 
Okay, let's do this again. This is fun. Okay, jump back up there. Okay, jump up there one more time. Let's say that we have a ministry full of people that are, are serving and they all start talking about how they're not getting enough attention in the ministry they're serving. And they all decide to let somebody else do it because they're just not content where they are. And so all three of them, this is like duck, duck, goose, duck, duck, goose. All three of them decide at the same time to lay down and they do. Go. Right. See? Thank you, guys. That was fun. I just want to do that over and over and over again. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a hand for being willing tonight. And, and I hope that illustrates the point that hurting teenagers is fun, okay? Oh, wait, no, that, sorry, that's not my point. Invitation time, no. That's not my point. See, just like Nehemiah, he's known for years you'd be right here, right now, in this place. And just like Nehemiah, he set you up to play an important role. And do you see that somebody on the bottom, even if they don't think that their role is important, if God placed you here, your role is important. And so for, for us to assume that my role is not important enough to be faithful to it, and we lay down on the job, do you see how everything collapses? If one part of the body is not working correctly, the body can't function have you ever had a sore leg or a sore back or a sore anything? And it's like that's all you can think about. Your whole body is rendered almost paralyzed because all you can think about is how sore you are and how much something hurts. The whole body is impacted. And what I'm trying to tell you today is that God is as sovereign today as he was in Nehemiah's time. And just like in Nehemiah's time, in that Persian country, in that palace, God has raised a, a group of people who have a role to play. God placed you in this body as it hath pleased him. That's how sovereign he is. He puts you right here, right now, at the right place, at the right time, for the right purposes. You have a role to play. He puts you here. But do you realize, just like one of those young men, if they laid down flat and the whole pyramid came down, do you realize if you don't submit to your role in this cause, something falls down. Something gets left undone. If you aren't content unless you have a certain role, somebody else has to step into your role, and that means their role is left undone. So my question tonight is, you have a place in the pyramid. You have a place in this body. And God is sovereign enough to know that you would be here right now. And that your role is important. So are you going to embrace your role in how God wants to advance his kingdom through Eastside Baptist Church? Are you willing? Are you content if the role doesn't look like what you prefer? There's, I mean, the important part in all this that I want you to understand is that it's not that we get to do what we want to do. It's that we faithfully serve in the role that we have. See, it's not a disciple's mentality to say, I want something better. I want something bigger. I want something with more attention. I want something that will bring me a little bit more, maybe a little bit more attention or focus on me. No, the most important thing is that you're content to play the role that you have. It's biblical that if we're faithful in something small, we'll get more opportunities. 
And what I want to say today is maybe give me, give us some time to put people in the right places. And, and I'm not saying that there won't be changes or adjustments. And I'm not saying that I have the wisdom to tell everybody where they're supposed to be right now. But I do believe that God gives a pastor a discerning heart. And I do believe that, that as I observe and as I pray and as I think about where people can fit in, if you would just say, Pastor, whatever it is, I'll be content. And I'm not asking you to suffer and do something you hate and that you're just not gifted for. And, what I'm, and one of the things I'm not saying tonight is that everyone should come join the choir. I'm not saying that. You have to be equipped for the ministry to which you are called. That's how I say to choir members, you have to be able to carry a tune in a bucket, okay? That's the diplomatic way of saying it. But what I am saying is that if you are concerned about the kingdom and not your, not your own agenda, then you'll be content to do whatever it is that is available. And sometimes it means you start small. Sometimes it means that you just plug in where there's a need. Sometimes it means that you kind of have to maybe push through because it's maybe not your favorite sometimes. I called somebody yesterday morning and I said, what's, 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 what do we normally do about snow removal? The sidewalks are real bad. And I had a man just say, I'll be up there no time. I'll come do it right away. You know what? I guarantee he didn't wake up yesterday thinking, I would love to shovel the sidewalks at the church if somebody would just ask me. I mean, unless you're weird, you probably don't dream like that, do you? But he was willing to do it. It wouldn't be the role he chose, but it was the role that was available, and he just said, I will do this. And he jumped in. And I'm thankful that I've already seen that taking place. I think about last week, on last Sunday night, when it was time to set up for the viewing and then set up for the funeral. And all I did was say, everybody should stay and help. And it was like, we had people all over the place, didn't we? Just available and willing to help and setting up tables and moving chairs. And it was awesome. It was great to see. But the truth is, not everybody's plugged in. And there's some that, well, I, I, I look and I see, well, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder what they're involved in. And there's so much I don't know. But I would love if every person at Eastside Baptist Church said, no, my part in the pyramid is really important. Because God put me here right near, right now for this purpose. And I'm not going to fall down on the job because if I do, something gets left undone. And God is so sovereign he knew. And I don't have all the answers, but I do trust God's sovereignty. And I do believe in the principle found in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, that God actively and interestedly has put you right here. And just like God raised up Nehemiah to be the man who would accomplish something great for Judah, God has raised us up. And I believe he is raising us up, Eastside Baptist Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to do something great in Sioux Falls. And I believe he will if we submit to his plans and we submit to his roles. We must be willing to be in the right place at the right time. So here's the principle. Trust God enough to know that he has you here and now for a reason and operate like it's true. I mean, in attendance. And I think I'm going to harp on this maybe more than I need to, but I'd love to see a full house Sunday morning Sunday night, Wednesday night.
I think we can do it and I think it's right. But it's time to shift our thinking a little bit. Time to start thinking, well, that service is expendable because I have this or this or this going on. And say, no, if God actively placed me here in this body as a sovereign God, he must think that I need every time the church meets together that I need to be there. So I'm going to be there no matter what. It's time to shift our thinking and realize you're not just here because you just happen to drive by and, okay, this is nice enough church and I'll just join it. No, God sovereignly placed you here as a member. And you have a role to play. And if you don't play it, the whole pyramid falls flat. And this church can function only as, as consistently as its weakest members. And it's time for us to say, I'm going to serve. I'm going to attend. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to be committed. Because that's what disciples do. And that is also God's... I'm trusting God's plan as a sovereign God. That he wants me to be here. And I'm going to jump in full feet. I mean, full, both feet. I'm full throttle. I'm here. God's plan needs a man. Or a woman. God's plan needs a woman. That kind of rhymes. God's plan needs people. What if Nehemiah had said no? Pyramid. What if Esther had said, nah, not right now? Pyramid falls flat. What if Joseph had said, you know, I'm kind of comfortable how I am. God's plan thwarted. What if David had said, that's a big giant. Will you allow... God's sovereignty to help you be more committed to Eastside Baptist Church? Or are you going to allow your unwillingness to play your role, thwart his kingdom plans? What role are you supposed to play? And in the title of this sermon series, I'm going to say it right now. Ready? Ready for the big reveal? Everybody's been waiting. Let's arise and build. Let's rise up not be content to be down where we've been or where you are personally. And I'm not saying nothing's been going on. I'm not. I'm just saying that when in transition, you better be careful because sometimes people kind of sit back. Okay, the transition's over and now it's time to sit back. No, there's never been a more important time for Eastside Baptist Church to say, I'm not going to fall down on the job. I'm not going to lay down and give my role to somebody else. It is time to arise and build. And I'd love... I'm here, I'm, I'm committed to arise and build. Will you be with me? Will you jump in? Next Sunday is Easter. Resurrection Sunday. Maybe the biggest day of the year comes to church attendance. If, if you have a mentality that you have a role to play in this body, and you're saying, let's arise and build, you're not going to let a day go by this week without inviting somebody to church next Sunday. We had some folks come this morning that were invited by members of our church. And they came this morning and sat right over here. And at invitation time when I asked if they're saved or not, they, they, if I said, are you, do you think that you're maybe not saved? Are you not 100% sure? This visitor, guest over here, raised his hand. And I was just thinking, yes. Somebody's caught it and they're saying, I'm going to rise and build. 
I'm going to take the role that God has placed me in and I'm going to make it, I'm going to be as serious about it as I can and I'm going to invite these people and I'm even going to be on them a little bit till they come and they're going to come and then the seeds of salvation and the gospel were planted in their hearts this morning and who knows but in the next few weeks maybe we touch, touch base or cross paths with them again and maybe they get saved. That's how you start to rise and build. That's how you embrace the role that God has placed you in sovereignly. So let's arise and build. Let's not fall down because if one person doesn't do their job, the whole thing falls flat. I don't want to be the one. Let's rise and build. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.